0: this song has said to us, we may bring our burdens directly to the Father because we have one who intercedes on our behalf before Him, even the Lord Jesus Christ. Will you give that burden to God right now and ask Him to bring strength or healing or renewed joy to your heart? as he lifts that burden. Let him do it right now. Father, may we be free to receive what you have to say to us from the word this morning. Liberate us from our own anxieties and from Satan's attacks so that we might be able to focus our minds and our hearts upon that which is eternal, even the word of God, May the Holy Spirit do a work in us, uniting us together as one body in Jesus Christ, even as we meditate upon this truth this morning of your unity as God. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. A few days ago, a friend of mine here in the city invited me again to go to a Rotary Club meeting with him. I always enjoy that, not just because I have the opportunity to sit with him and fellowship for a while, but because it's just interesting and even fun to be out there with people uh, in the community, to see how they talk and to see how they think. As we go to the Rotary Club, uh, the session usually begins with the preliminaries, and usually that involves a Pledge of Allegiance and the singing of some kind of a song, much like we used to begin school back in the olden days. And then we have our meal together, and someone usually asks a blessing upon the food from God, and uh, then we eat, and following that there is the, the main program, and then everybody goes home. As we were walking out this last Monday, I said to my friend, you know, this is a religion to some of these people, isn't it? And being a member of the club and being there fairly regularly, he said, yes, in fact, it is. Uh, Many of these people belong to churches, but their real religion is Rotary. It's a service club. And that's where they sense they belong. In fact, that sense of belonging is so real that uh, at the club, they keep track of attendance. And this last Monday, they published how many times each member had been there over the last few months and what the percentage was. And I thought to myself, what a great idea for a church. They're really serious at Rotary regarding belonging to that organization. That all of us have heard in the last few weeks regarding the rise of gangs. Especially in the inner city of uh, North Minneapolis. Some of it apparently related to drugs. Drugs. But uh, these, these gangs are groups of kids who want to belong to something. Now certainly money is part of it, drugs is part of it, uh, thrill may be part of it. But at the real heart of it is a desire on the part of the kids to belong. Now, we've gone from one end of the spectrum, a community service organization that does a lot of good to a gang that does a lot of bad. But there's a common thread that ties them together, I think, and that is the desire and the part of members of both to belong. You see, God has put the desire to belong in the heart of every human being. I believe that that desire is a fingerprint of God upon every human life. We all want to be a part of something. We are living in an age when we are told there is a trend toward privatization. Some call it cocooning. Where people are withdrawing into their own homes or their own apartments and conducting their business and even their social life, in private, away from everybody else. That is abnormal. In a certain sense, that's more abnormal than belonging to a gang. Because the normal thing is to want to be with others and to belong with others to something that is meaningful. I repeat, the belonging that we inherently seek... I think, is a fingerprint of God upon us. Think with me about the original creation and how it reflected a God-designed oneness. When you go back in your reading of the Bible and look at Genesis chapters 1 and 2 and you see how God created the world, the universe, and mankind, you see there an evident harmony between God and his creation. <clears throat> After God had finished his work, he looked at it and he said, it is very good. There was a harmony between God and that which he had brought into existence. And likewise, we see a harmony between the various categories, species, and kinds that are involved in creation. A wonderful Oneness and harmony to the creation that God brought into existence. Now, there was certainly hierarchy and there was order, but there was also a wonderful harmony to all things. Everything belonged together, it fit. Now, why is that? Why did God create the world that way? He did not create it the way we see it today. He created it differently. It was a world that was harmonious. The reason God created the world that way is because he desired that the creation reflect himself. And God is one. In the unity of the Godhead, there are three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But it's not three gods. It's one God. The oneness of creation was the glory, the reflected glory, of God's essential oneness. God's oneness. That oneness is stated for us in Deuteronomy 6.4, where it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. That is a basic tenet of Judaism. It's called the Shema. The Lord is one. And because of the misunderstanding of Jews about Christianity, they often say that we worship three gods. When in fact we worship the Lord who is one. But who eternally subsists in three persons. The Father, the Son, and the and the Holy Spirit. That involves the mystery of God's triunity. And God's triunity is an essential doctrine of Scripture, even though the word itself is not used. One cannot be a believer in the God of the Bible and reject the concept of God's triunity. But notice just in that word, the, the word unity, triunity. Triunity. Three in one. The idea, the concept of God being three in one, was one that took a number of centuries for the church to begin to grasp and to articulate. It was a doctrine that was somewhat hidden in the Old Testament. We can go back with the searchlight of the New Testament and see it in various places. But it's not until the New Testament that the triunity of God is clearly evidenced. And yet it took the church several centuries to be able to come to grips with what that means. One of the oldest of the statements and clearest of the statements is called the Athanasian Creed. Athanasius was a church leader in the 4th century who debated and uh, defeated the teachings of Arius who uh, denied the deity of Jesus Christ and the triunity of God. His modern day descendants are the Jehovah's Witnesses. Now there's a creed that bears his name although he did not write it. It's called the Athanasian Creed. It says in part, The Catholic faith is that we venerate one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity, neither confounding the persons nor separating the substance. Sounds like a creed, doesn't it? The person of the Father is one, of the Son another, of the Holy Spirit another. But the divinity of the Father, Son, and Spirit is one, their glory equal, co-eternal their majesty. The Father is neither made, nor created, nor begotten. The Son is from the Father alone, not made, nor created, but begotten. The Holy Spirit is from the Father and the Son, not made, nor created, nor begotten, but proceeding. Therefore there is one Father, not three fathers, one Son, not three sons, one Holy Spirit, not three Holy Spirits. And in this Trinity there is nothing prior or posterior, Nothing greater or less, but all, through, all the three persons are co-eternal and co-equal, so that in all things, both a trinity in unity and a unity in trinity is to be worshipped. Did you get that? Those are heavy-duty thoughts that are compressed together uh, in a creed, and that's what a creed is all about. But the point is this. We have come to an understanding of what this idea means, that God is a unity, God is one, and yet eternally exists in three persons. Now we can't fully explain it. It's impossible for us to reason this, but we begin to understand what the Word of God reveals to us about the majesty of this one that we call God. And the creation was harmonious. Even though it was diverse, it was harmonious because it reflected his glory as the one God. But God's original design was ruined. The oneness was destroyed by the entrance of sin. Sin is the great separator. Sin separated God from man, sin separated man from man, sin separated human beings from animals. It's the great separator. The glory of God's oneness was no longer evident in the fallen order. And so God's purpose in Jesus Christ is to restore the glory of his oneness to creation. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. And look at verses uh, 19 and 20. It was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in Christ, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. Part of the purpose of redemption, of the work of the cross of Jesus Christ, is to reconcile all things, whether in heaven or or on earth, to God. To bring things full circle, as it were, back to this oneness. Look in Ephesians chapter 1, in verse 9. It says, He made known to us the mystery of His will according to his kind intention, which he purposed in Christ, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times. The apostle is looking ahead when everything is consummated. All of God's purposes are finally realized. and He calls that the fullness of the times. It's the destiny toward which everything is moving. And he says that is the summing up of all things in Christ things in the heavens and things upon the earth. You say, where is history leading? It's leading to a summation where everything will be summed up in Jesus Christ. There will be a unity, or rather, a harmony, a oneness about creation again in its relationship to its creator. And just one more text in Romans chapter 8, where we see the same basic idea. In verse 20 of this great chapter, it says, The creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but because of him who subjected it. In hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption, into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. You see, the work of Jesus Christ at the cross certainly dealt with our sin. That's the primary focus of it, but in the focus as well is the liberation of creation and the bringing back to a harmony and a oneness in the whole universe will share in by the work of Jesus Christ. God is in the business today of bringing together a people for his name's sake, a people who are at one with him and who someday will be at one with all of the creation that God will make in the new heaven and the new earth. God is bringing together a people who are also to be one with one another. It is the Holy Spirit who makes this this oneness a reality when we're saved. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the Apostle says we're all baptized by one Spirit into one body. It means that the Holy Spirit places us into the body of Jesus Christ so that we belong. It's fine to belong to Rotary or to the PTA or to the 4H or to whatever else one wants to belong to in this world and has the time and energy and money to be a part of. It's fine to belong to those things. But I want you to know that the greatest belonging there is is to belong to Jesus Christ and to his body. That's the greatest belonging in the universe. There is no association of people that is greater than that association that is brought about by the blood of Jesus Christ and people who trust in him. The ultimate in belonging is to belong to him. Turn back again to 1 Corinthians and look in chapter 3, and I want you to notice something that I think is very special. He talks about how wonderful it is to know God in these early chapters of 1 Corinthians 3, to have that true wisdom. And he says in verse 21 of 1 Corinthians 3 So then, let no one boast in men. You remember that's what these people were doing. They were lining up with various Bible teachers or apostles. And they were saying, I'm the follower of this one, or I follow that one. And the Apostle says, let no one boast in men, for all things belong to you. Now just stop there for a minute. Just park your car for just a minute on that phrase. All things belong to you. Just think of that. All things belong to you. He goes on to say whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things that are present right now or the future, things to come, he says all things belong to you. Sometimes we mope around and we crawl around like we are the paupers of the earth. Sometimes our checkbook does reflect something pretty similar to that, doesn't it? But folks, spiritually, we are the princes of God's creation. We are the royalty of God's creation. And all things in God's universe, belong to us. But there's something even more wonderful than that. He goes on to say, and you belong to Christ. Now put your car in park again and just stay there for a minute. Think about that. Just look at this spectacle. You belong to Christ. Someone told me (laughs) that as you drive down Interstate 35 through iowa that there is a place called scenic overlook now immediately you see the contradiction don't you but there it says scenic overlook and as you drive back into this scenic overlook you drive back into a soybean field and that's all there is they were going to make a lake but they decided not to do that but they kept the scenic overlook So, you drive back into the soybean field, and all you see is soybeans. I want you to drive into this scenic overlook for a minute and realize that you belong to Jesus Christ. That means you don't belong to this world. You don't belong to this world. You don't even belong, really, to yourself. You've been redeemed with a price. You belong to Jesus Christ. You're his possession. You're his treasure. You're his body. had a part of a wedding yesterday and read Ephesians chapter 5. No man ever yet hated his own body, but he nourishes and cherishes it That's true of all of us. We nourish and cherish our own bodies. Why? Because it belongs to us. And you are Jesus Christ's body. And that text says that he nourishes and he cleanses and he treasures you because you belong to him. Talk about belonging. What a wonderful calling God has given to us that we should belong to Jesus Christ. and Because we belong to him, all things belong to us. It's all for our benefit. It doesn't mean that it's all focused on us, because it's all focused on God. But we are called to be heirs of the kingdom, which God has promised to those that love him. James 2, verse 5. We are a part of God's kingdom, God's family, God's church in the world. Now there are some implications to this. And now we come to our text for today, which is Ephesians chapter 4, which was read earlier. Now if you've parked long enough at this scenic overlook, you can come back to Ephesians 4.1 and see why Paul says what he does. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, entreat you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called to belong to Jesus Christ, to be in harmony with God, to be reconciled to God. He says, I plead with you, walk worthy of that calling. Don't walk less than worthy of it. How do we do that? Well, he says, walk with humility, all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing forbearance to one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. You and I are redeemed to share in a new order of creation. It is a renewed oneness that is going to characterize the new heavens and the new earth. You and I are called by God to be a part of this summation of all things. You say, won't all people be there? No. I am sorry to say, and I am saddened to say, all people will not be a part of this, only the redeemed. Only those who have come to faith in Jesus Christ will be a part of this summation. Those who reject Jesus Christ will go to the eternity they have chosen. To be separated from God and from His glory and to perish forever. That's worth parking on for a while too. But we don't have time to do it. But those of us who have trusted in Jesus Christ, look what we're a part of. God has called us to share the destiny of His kingdom that is going to last forever. Now He says, right now in this world, where you are in your church, in your community, live like it. Live like it. Live like God's royalty. With humility and gentleness and patience and forbearance and love and being diligent to preserve what God has created, unity in the body of Christ. That's how we experience a foretaste of the oneness that's to come. By preserving the unity in this new community of our local church, The fellowship of God's people in this world breaks the barriers. God is not only the God of the Jews, he is the God of the Gentiles. He is not only the God of the slaves, he is the God of the free people. He breaks down the human social barriers. We're made one in Jesus Christ. A friend of mine for a number of years pastored the Miramonte Baptist Church in San Salvador, El Salvador. And when he pastored that church, he had the privilege of leading to faith in Jesus Christ, one of the leading rightists in that country who happened to be a general in the military. He also led to Jesus Christ one of the intellectuals in El Salvador, who was an attorney and a professor at one of the universities. Both of them, on opposite ends of the political spectrum, were baptized into the fellowship of one local church and learned to love each other as brothers in Jesus Christ, though they had different perspectives on some of the problems of the people of El Salvador. There is oneness in the church, The distinctions that are out there in the world do not belong in the body of Christ. Now he says, preserve that unity, preserve that oneness, guard that harmony. Don't let anything arise that creates division in the body of Christ. Belonging is God's plan. I am convinced that it is God's plan for every every Christian to belong to a local church. I mean that is just in the warp and the woof of the whole New Testament. Belonging, being a part of it, joining, being a member, that's God's plan. It's not man's plan. It's God's plan and God's order. <clears throat> Someone asked Recently, well, in, in joining, what are the benefits of joining? Ask like a true 19, uh, 20th century American. What are the benefits in joining? And my answer was, number one, obedience. Do we need to go beyond that, really? In the church, God wants us to know acceptance. He wants us to know mutual commitment. Seeking the good of others, a loving honesty, a forgiveness, truth and goodness, purity and peace. Those things are to be a part of God's church. And you and I are responsible to promote and to preserve those things which are produced by the Holy Spirit in our midst. The fellowship of the new community of God present in the local church is a precious thing. To undermine it is to strike at the very glory of God. Because unity, you see, reflects God's unity. And disunity denies God's unity. And it's also destructive to the people of God. In an old monastery in Germany, we're told that there are two deer antlers that are permanently interlocked. The antlers are there displayed in that church, and they've been there for many years. Apparently what happened was two deer were fighting fiercely, and their horns became so entangled as they fought with each other that they became locked in that position and could not free themselves. They could not disengage, and both of them perished from hunger. One man comments about that. I would like to carry those horns into every home and school as a warning against fighting to the last ditch to have your own way. I would also bring them into every church so that their silent message might sink deep into the hearts of those who seem to delight in locking horns with other Christians at the least provocation. God's plan is unity. And God's command is that we preserve it. What an exciting thing to be called by God to belong to his new order. It's okay to belong to human organizations, but friend, don't miss God's. It's a fine thing to belong to an organization that's going to last a few years in this world, but don't miss the one that's going to last forever. God's family. And being a part of God's family, be a part of that expression of his family in a church, a local church. And there seek to promote and to preserve unity because that unity is a reflection of the oneness of the God that we worship. Would you take a hymnal, please, and turn with me? I'd like for us to sing a verse of Hymn 44. Now this probably is a new hymn to most of us. But it's a very simple tune. And uh, I think you'll be able to pick it up very quickly. It's called We Believe in One True God. It's number 44. Let's stand together as we sing.